Welcome, Mitch Lang. So we're here to um, talk about uh, the new ventures you're working on. Um, I think we kind of, you've been a uh, staple in this community for many years, whether it be in the uh, music scene or um, on uh, the radio stations and uh, even a TV personality locally. But today we're going to kind of focus on um, uh, the production of some movies that you're working on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before we get into the movies real quick, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of an overview, a little bit about Mitch. Um, How does someone go from, you know, the professional music scene? um, I think it still aligns with uh, being a DJ, but making that transition from being a musician to wanting to get into film. Um, Well, I... I've always enjoyed acting my entire life. Like uh, I was a very hyperactive, over-imaginative kid, and uh, my parents didn't like they didn't believe in like diagnosing like the ADD, ADHD. Right. Or, like they, I found out later that I was extremely dyslexic, but they didn't even tell me that until I was eighteen and graduated from high school. And I'm like, oh, that, that's good information to know now. And they're like, right. well, if we told you that, you would just use it as an excuse to not do as well as you did. So, sure. so I thank them for that at least. But uh, they always got me into acting at a young age. I did the little theater as a kid, did church plays. But uh, my dad was a musician, and so, of course, that's where my interest in it started, is watching him and my uncles and friends jam. And so I gravitated to that more than anything else because that's just a fun thing to do. And after about six months of playing with him, I was about 11, 12, and Dad was like, Mitch, you need to go find you a band to join. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. It's like, well, go to church. Churches have praise bands all the time. Go find you a praise band. So I went and I did that. And, uh, you know, it, at first it was all cool. It was your regular Wednesday night church thing, your Sunday evenings for the youth group. Right. And then they're like, all right, Mitch, uh, two weeks, we got a, an actual real show. You got to get ready for them. I'm like, what does that mean, an actual real show? We've been playing... For, for months now. Turns out they were one of those bands that go and do uh, like the youth retreats and okay. big like yeah. camps and stuff. So my first real show was in front of like 1,500 people with them. And I was like, oh, this is <laughs> very different than the church services. Uh, so that, once music kind of took over from there, uh, you know, started playing in a Christian metal band from the church group. You know, we were doing... All the all-age uh, music venues from the early 2000s, like Cotton Pork Coffee and the Paraground, the Sanctuary. Right, right. Uh, the Florida Lee that happened over in downtown uh, Monroe for a while. And then, you know, natural opportunities arise. You switch bands. Uh, but the thing that kind of got me into film was I was in bands all through high school. My band got signed and we did an album and we did some tours and stuff. So I wasn't thinking about college or caring about anything like that until a year after high school when the band broke up and then you're kind of left with this cold reality of now what? Yeah. I I can't go to college because I definitely didn't keep the GPA or funds or any kind of like, I can't get any pale grants or anything. So I uh, thought about, well, I've always loved movies, acting, you know, maybe I should dip back into that. Uh, I learned how to write scripts from uh, books, and I implore anybody that wants to be a director, start your knowledge base by learning how to write scripts. 
it's going to be the most important thing you do in as far as anything else when it comes to storytelling. Learn how to write scripts first. Tell me why. Come, give me some examples of why that's the most important thing. Well, um, because as a director, you're a storyteller, you know, and even like if you want to be able to read somebody else's script and dissect it and ask all the questions that a director needs to ask to analyze it and figure out where the story is, the best way to get associated with that is by doing it yourself. Like, sense. like you, if you do like uh, Hunter S. Thompson once said that if you want to learn how to write like a writer, just yeah. copy that person's stuff verbatim, word for word. He, he did that. He copied the Odyssey from cover to cover just so he could learn how to write like that and then use that to go towards his own stuff. And okay. uh, I tell people that want to write all the time, just start writing. Because here's the thing. The first three or four things you write, it's going to be garbage. <laughs> it's going to be doo-doo. So you need to go ahead and just get them out of the way now. Sure. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. What was it. the first thing you wrote? Uh, I wrote a uh, movie, a screenplay called The Coffin Nail, which was a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe short stories that I had managed to turn into one story. And uh, it wasn't that great. It wasn't. But you did it. I did it, and we ended up being a 30-minute short that was that we did film that nobody can see because uh, <laughs> it's it's terrible. It's bad. But, I got you, but you did it. But you got to do it. You got to get the garbage out before <clears throat> you can learn to get better at it. You can't be good at something until you fail. No, I completely agree. You know, it's a, um, I mean, mentality that I have is that if you're going to fail, let's fail forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fastest way to learn a lot of times is to learn from your mistakes. Yes. So um, I agree 100% with you. So you're um, um, you're out of school. You're not playing with a band anymore. Reality sets in. I got to do something different. So where does this take us? Well, um, my options were limited. I didn't have a whole lot of things that I could do. Uh, but the one option that I did have was I could go and get me a job at a TV station. Okay. Uh, you know, I could at least get hands-on experience with television quality cameras, how the way the sound is. Like, Because when I did Coffinell, I had no idea that you had to record sound separately. I didn't know that you had to light scenes. I, we just had a camera and just pointed. Yeah. And so that was kind of where I, I figured I would get some more experience doing that. And the same time that I was doing that, I was developing screen my screenwriting process. Because whenever I wrote Coffin Nail, I wrote four of the scripts, like, back-to-back. I just kept – I would write, finish that one, and I'd just go right to the next one. I'd finish that one and go right to the next and one. And these were just uh, topics that you had in your mind, like, oh, this would be really cool if we did a movie about yeah. this? Okay. Yeah, I did, like, the – All original stuff. Yeah. I mean, as, as original as, as anybody can be, you know, like right. – there's we I, I wrote a uh, a trailer park stoner comedy called Near to Wells, a couple of horror movies, a sequel to Near to Wells, and I was just just practicing. You know, okay. I, I didn't expect any of those things to get made, but I wanted to write it because I need. You know, like I said, you got it. It's going to be bad, so at least. At least get the bad stuff out first. So I take it that you're a film enthusiast, right? Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about kind of uh, where's your inspirations come from? What is uh, what's your wheelhouse when it comes to film? What do you like to watch? Uh, well, uh, I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, there's a weird dichotomy that I live in uh, because 
I, for the most part, do horror movies or horror comedies and stuff like that. But if I'm being honest, I don't really like watching a lot of horror movies. Well, I don't like watching a lot of modern-day current horror movies because they are all so grotesquely, like, accurate to the violence Mm -hmm. And it's it, it it's reached a tipping point to me. I think that everybody's just trying to be the most shocking that they can. Right. And I understand if you want to do gore and if you want to do blood and violence, do it. But it has to serve your story or at least serve a joke or a setup. You know, you can't just keep slutting people's throats. And like, So do you feel like you uh, relate a lot more to the older type of horror? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a an 80s, 90s kid. Okay. So I grew up on, like, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, the Friday the 13th, the Evil Deads, but I also grew up on the Goonies, Batman, Dick Goonies Tracy. Is you know, one of my all-time favorite shows. It's one so. of the best movies ever, really. Yeah. And so I like, and, and like, you know, Ghostbusters, you know, like, all, and there's a lot of, Great. I remember I was also a big uh, Pink Panther and Spectre Clouseau mm-hmm. fan, and not Steve Martin. I'm talking about Peter Sellers, yeah, like yeah. the the original Old Jacques school. Clouseau. Yeah. So I've always been a big fan of that almost. Uh, gen- not, I don't want to call it generic horror, but you know, it's the episodic horror that you know <laughs> that. We uh we love to be entertained by that we don't leave we don't leave the theater or leave the movie like with a sense of dread and hopelessness. Right. I I like the I like my movies to the out that you know the cheesy Hollywood ending. I like it. I like walking away from the movie happy. And if I don't walk away from the movie happy, I want to know that all right the sequel is going to fix that. You know, like it's setting up for this like. One of my favorite movies, Empire Strikes Back. It's a downer of an ending, but it sets up for the payoff in the next one. The most disappointing thing that can happen to me in a film is if they have that cliffhanger and they never come out with a sequel. pay it off. I'm like, man, what happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I so wanted to know how that thing ended. Uh, It's just like uh, there was a movie I was watching the other day. uh, I think it's called Salt uh, with uh, Angelina Jolie. She's a... um, Mm -hmm. You know, double agent or whatever, but right there at the end, you're like, I know they're coming out with a sequel, and it never right. came out, and I was a little disappointed. But hey, you can't win them all. So we're out of out of high school. We've toured for a while with the band. Um, you're like, hey, now what? So you're talking about TV. Did you immediately go into? T- did you do TV before you did radio? Yeah, I did. T- I've done TV a long time. This year will be my twelfth year oh, okay. of uh, working at the television station uh, here locally. Um, and what kind of roles did you perform with the station? Well, whenever I started in two thousand and six, because that's whenever I, I first started. Um, you start. Everybody starts out the same. Everybody starts out on camera in the morning show. That's that's pretty much where everyone starts. And six months after that, I got bumped up to audio operator. Uh, and then, uh, funny enough, at that, around 2008, I started working on my first film. So okay. I was making a little bit of money with that film, and I was a very young, cheap-to-live type of cat. So I left and started focusing on doing the movie stuff, and 
uh, did two movies in that era and all the way up to 2012 and realized that I needed a nine to five job to keep because the money movie is good, but it just comes in one lump sum and then yeah. you have to live, you know. So uh, I went back to the television station <clears throat> in 12 and have been there ever since. OK, so when did you get involved in radio? Uh, actually last year, um, okay. last year. Um, and it was because of the on air personality stuff that I was doing with the TV station. Um, I was friends with, uh, worm at rock one Oh six. He uh, was in the Bogman film, uh, with us and we were doing stuff for that. And he just was like, Hey man, um, we, we need somebody to come fill in some time slots. Would you be interested in filling in? And I did well. And he was like, do you want to just keep doing it? And I'm like, yeah, this is fun. So I've been doing it ever since then. So with your experience at the TV station and then now in radio, um, I would have to probably think that this has really forwarded, I mean, enhanced your education level to be able to um, to bring different quality to your filmmaking. Well, that is true, but I, I will have to say this, and I've said this uh, a number of times, I do have to give all my thanks to my uh, film education to Professor Brian Dunn over okay. at um, um, Louisiana Delta Community College. Um, I told you I'd wrote four scripts earlier, right? Well, the Trailer Park Stoner comedy, the ne'er-do-wells one, somehow or another, that script ended up in uh, his hands uh, through one of his students that was a friend of mine. And they reached out and was like, this is this is really good. We'd like to sit down with you and talk to you about making this. And at first, they just well, they just wanted to buy the script flat out so that they could work on it. And I was like, I can I direct it? And they are like, you ever directed anything before? Like, well, a short film. Can we see it? No. Uh, did you go to school for this? No. You ever read any books or take any classes? No, but I'm real gung-ho about it. And they're like, all right, man, show us your short film. And I'm like, it's really bad. Like, so I showed them the coffin nail. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing, guys, but like, just, just see for what it might could have been. And we watched it, and Brian looked at me after we were done. He was like, you're right. You don't know what you're doing. But you do have a really good eye for where the camera needs to be in shots. So come and apprentice under us for six months. Meet up at my house three three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll do a three-hour class every day. I'll give you all the education that you would get out of film school, and I'll do it for free. So so what's the gentleman's name again? Uh, Professor Brian Dunn. Okay, so does uh, North Delta, does a community college, does it offer a you know film class? Um, well, uh, I do not believe so. At the time, they had a program with ULM's communications department. Oh, that makes sense. That people that needed uh, something to uh, to work under for their final credits, or you know, uh, what's that word? Whenever they have to, uh, they have to work on something. It's not an apprenticeship because that's what I did, but intern. They there had to intern somewhere in their field, so we would get. Uh, people from the class all the time to work on the Ne'er Do Wells movie when we were working on it, and that's where a majority of our crew came from. The cheap labor. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, information that you learned from him, um, that's what you say has had the biggest impact. Oh yeah. On, I still uh, use it to this day. You taking things kind of to the next level. Yes. Yes. So so tell me some of the key techniques that you took away from him that uh, made such a big impact? Well, I mean, 
because I didn't know anything. I didn't know any. He gave me the basics. You know, he taught me about three-point lighting. He taught me how to whatever camera you, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, model or brand, he taught me how to, you take the camera, this is how you do, you set your settings. These are all the things you need to focus on. These are the things you got to set it for to make sure it's at this peak, this, you know, uh, you know, audio, you know, making sure the mics are placed at this point so that the level doesn't peak at this. He sat me down and showed me how to edit and edits what I do for a living with the TV station most of the time. And so, uh, it's like he gave you just a very solid foundation he did. to build off of. He gave me an amazing gift that I, I, all I can do is say, thank you so much, man. Like, cause like, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without him. You know, something you said a little bit earlier that I, I, I don't want people that watch this to ever lose sight of. Um, you, you had talked about you were living really cheap during this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, had you had a house full of bills, you wouldn't have been able to do half of what you've probably already accomplished. Absolutely not. And it's because that you were you had a passion, number one. Uh, you were set set up financially from the standpoint you didn't have a lot of debt <laughs> and it gave you the flexibility to really pursue your dreams. I know um, a lot of uh, young adults, I like sometimes call kids, but young adults, whether they're getting out of high school or they're getting out of college, uh, don't really understand that if you truly want to pursue a dream, you better not have a lot of baggage when it comes to pursue that dream because you're not going to be able to go very far mm-hmm. unless you have the funds to make it happen. There's a whole lot that can be done on a shoestring if you don't have a big weight that you carry on your back with debt right. at that point. So I, I think that that – would you say that that definitely was part of the catalyst that helped you be able to pursue your dream? Absolutely. Uh, but I will also say this too. Uh, I've been I've been with my wife now for the past 14 years. We have uh, two beautiful sons, uh, one, seven, one, uh, two. And the past, you know – the stuff that's all been happening with Open Heart Productions and my company and stuff has all been kind of happening within the past four years. And so it's been twice as hard because, like you said, back when I was doing it before, it was just me. That's all I had to worry about. Now I've been doing it, you know, in this serious capacity. Really, we've been doing a movie once a year since 2021. And, uh, that is is tough because you know I'm not I'm not a big Hollywood movie guy. I'm not a well paid film director. I make just enough to do what I have to do, and it's really difficult because you're looking forward. You're like, yeah, this is really difficult now, but all it takes is one thing to stick. That's right. And if that one thing sticks, we're set, you know, but we got to get the one thing, you know. But having that willing, obviously, if you guys have been married for 14 years um, and you've been TV station for 12, is that right? Mm -hmm. So that means that she was with you in the very, very beginning of this process. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to assume she's a willing partner to this uh, yeah, process. I mean, and she she's part of the ride now. Whether she, you know, she's here. Like she, hang but on, that baby. That support is so important. It Would is. you agree with that? It really is. Uh, it's it's very difficult to stay focused and stay as positive and stay driven whenever the world is just constantly from all angles trying to tell you that you're failing. You yeah. know, and 
it's really, really hard sometimes. You know, people say, oh, Mitch, you're always just so positive and happy. It's like, well, then I'm a sad clown because uh, it's like probably the same way that Chris Farley was always ha- like laughing and smiling. Deep down, it's tough being that happy. Yeah. It's tough being that positive. And this is the first time in my life that I'm starting to see a little bit of reward from all the years of hard work. So what pushes you? What what <clears throat> I I haven't experienced as much adversity as some people have. Um, but being self-employed myself, I mean, there's adversity that we have to go through being self-employed, uh, depending on the economy to help, you know, or at least have some influence on the business that we have. But for you, where do you find your inspiration to keep going when things get tough? I mean, you're an independent film maker, right? Mm-hmm. Would you classify yourself as an independent filmmaker? Absolutely. To have a wife, two kids, more than one career going on at the same time, but still pursuing your passion, what drives you to do that? Where do you find where do you find your inspiration to take that next step and to keep going forward with it? Well, I mean, one of the most obvious answers is is prayer and, and, and God, you know, like however you define him, you know, people define him as different things. You know, I try my best not to judge anyone's belief of whatever they want to believe. You can you can pray to a tree for all I care if that gives you the strength that you need. Mine does come from the Lord, you know, and but I think more than that, sometimes it's the fear of failure because there's an old saying that you never really fail until you give up. Mm -hmm. And I just keep thinking to myself, well, I 100% will be a failure if I stop. But if I keep going, there's always that, that chance. There's always that sliver of hope along the horizon that I might be able to get to that. Even if it's a mirage, you know, just, you only fail if you give up. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that, you know, one of the first, um, I may sound like a broken record because I say it so much, when uh, Alex over there is running the uh, show for us today, but when we hired Alex, um, one of the first things that I told him is that I give him permission to fail because I know a lot of times that's uh, – People will freeze sometimes. They're, they're, we're all afraid of failure on some level. Mm-hmm. But when you remove some of that fear that says, you know what, um, I'm going to learn from this. Um, I know I'm going to fail. I'm just going to acknowledge that up front. But I'm not going to fail twice at the same thing. We're just going to keep pushing forward. Not going to fail the same way yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my seven-year-old, he's he's definitely getting to the age that he's looking at Daddy and he's watching Daddy and he sees all this movie stuff and he knows what's, you know, he understands what's going on. And, you know, I don't want him to see me give up, you know, like because if he sees me give up, then he'll think it, it's, it's okay, okay to, to give, give up. up at that point. And, yeah, I mean, it's our kids are watching everything that we do. Now, um, one of the things that we talked about earlier before before we got started here is the um, you were brought in to produce a um, local reality show. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, um, me and Brian Dunn did a um, a pilot or they, what they call a, a sizzle reel 
uh, for a show called Trailer Kings back in 2013. And, uh, you know, nothing ended up happening from it, and we all kind of moved on from our lives. And uh, four years later, I was on tour uh, in Canada, actually, and I get a phone call from David, who was a part of that, and said, hey, man, we got a new movie or a new, uh, new show we've been working on. Uh, we got about five episodes shot. Uh, we, we're looking to find someone to come and edit all this stuff together. Can you help us out? We can pay you X amount of dollars an episode. I'm like, oh, sounds good to me, my man. So uh, I get back home. He shows up, and he just shows up and just hands me five SD cards. And is like, all right, here you go. Here's five episodes. No script. No what is it. Just here you go. Have fun. And then I look at it, and over half the footage is out of focus. And I was like, I managed to pull together from the stuff that wasn't out of focus about like a 20-minute one episode. And I was like, listen, man. He's like, how many episodes we get out of that one? I'm like, you got one good one. The rest of this is not salvageable at all. He's like, well, man, we had it on autofocus. I'm like, that was your first mistake right, right. there. I was like, listen, dude, I, I got a couple of guys. If y'all got any money from sponsors or anything like that, I got a couple of camera dudes. I got a couple of folks on sound that can come out there. Uh, we'll help you out and do this for real. And we, from there on, we kind of were just uh, the producers of the show after that. Well, and that went for three seasons? Three seasons, 2017 to 2019. Man, that's awesome to be part of something like that. So what did that do for you? Um as a filmmaker, as a producer, I mean, did that give you any more confidence? I mean, to be able to run three seasons? No, it made me want to quit. Did it really? It made me want to quit doing it all together. Uh, just because that was a very difficult show to do. Because, you know, whenever you do a movie or a TV show, it usually, we talked about earlier, starts at the script. Mm -hmm. Well, reality shows already have a very loose script format to begin with. But these guys did not do scripts. They don't did they not do scripts. They don't do setup. That you know like hey, can you say this? No, I can't. But I can cut this tree down and make a comment as it falls down. Like <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and so the normal way of doing things was just tossed outside the window. Yeah. So every day or every episode was a new adventure. Every episode was they would hand me SD cards and I would have to watch every second of every SD card and make notes about what's going on, get them over to my house and film interviews with them in the backyard, asking them questions about the okay. video footage that I watched. So that was a lot of work. Oh yeah. And like it, it and I love the guys. They were great dudes. And I, like uh, two of them were in the Bogman movie. The only reason the third guy wasn't was because he's in North Carolina. So like, I'm really close with all of them still, but all four of us, We'll attest if you press hard enough that by the end of that third season we were ready to be done. Yeah, we did not want to be on the ride anymore. But it's one of those things you just never know until you get you, neck, neck deep in it. You never know. And I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about what not to do. But I also, you get really good at guerrilla style filming tactics. Like you get right. really good at quickly getting the camera ready. You know, because they're only going to blow this thing up one time. You know, and. Sometimes they don't wait for the one, two, three. It's like, whoa, whoa, we're not ready. Hold up. You know, so. Uh, it At least was, it prepared you for what you don't want to do. It right? was like boot camp, you know, like I remember I almost died from uh, they would blow up trees by cutting out holes in the tree trunk and shoving Tannerite right. into it and then backing up 
And, and sometimes then, you probably didn't back up far enough. Oh, yeah. Right? And then well, they would shoot a gun. They would shoot the Tannerite to cause it to blow up. And I remember one time sitting there with the camera like Debris so. Debris flying everywhere. And a branch comes right past the camera. I feel it right here. And it embeds into the tree beside me like a knife. And I'm like, oh, goodness. Oh, I'm, I'm going home. I'm done. Hey, Just, but I bet it was a good camera shot there, right? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't use any of the audio of it because I could imagine. I immediately started cursing. I was like, "What? The fuck? Y'all are crazy! I'm going yeah. home! I'm going home!" So uh, let's move forward to, um, I guess, the film that has got you the most uh, exposure. That's with uh, Bogman. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of got. You had a premiere earlier last month, right? Yes, sir. And um, that film's got noticed. Oh, yeah. It was uh, fantastic. I was... And it was filmed here locally, right? Uh, yeah. Um, there we filmed uh, some over at Leah's LeCompte over in Monroe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we filmed out at Mr. Burl Stewart's ranch out in uh, Swartz, Louisiana. Uh, we filmed at Richard Henderson's land out there near the Iris mm-hmm. type. It's, it's sure. deep on out there. But we did get to have fun and take a trip out to Broken Bow, Oklahoma for a weekend to film. So it was mostly filmed here in town with, you know, with the exception of the weekend in Broken Bow. So tell me, so you wrote the script for that one. Yes, sir. So you wrote the script, you directed it. Um, I'm sure you had me, I don't know if you had help casting it, but you had your hand uh, or your fingerprint all over that film. So you've. Record. I mean, y'all shot it, you edited it, then what? So how did that film get noticed and who noticed it? Um, well, uh, one of the big things that helped us the most was, and I'll give this to all you indie filmmakers out there, submit your films to film festivals. Even if you don't think you'll win, even if you don't get accepted into the film festival, it's all about exposure. Submit, right? submit, submit. Because everybody that every video, every movie that's submitted, somebody has to watch it. Right. They have to watch it all the way through so that they can make a decision on whether it needs to go into the thing or not. So, how many festivals did you submit it to? Oh, uh, probably 20, 25 festivals. Um, so, out of the 25 festivals, how many responses did you get back? Well, here's the thing about that. Um, most of them were still pending. Um, we of the twenty five that we submitted to, five have already happened in like their process. Uh, we were not selected for four, but we were selected as a finalist at the Scream Queen Film Festival for. Uh, it was supposed to be in Tennessee that year, but it's normally in New Orleans. Okay, and it was off the back of that that those people. Uh, reached out to us and said, hey, have y'all got distribution for this film yet? And I'm like, no, we don't. It's like, well, here, here's a list of emails of people to talk to and, you know, this, that, and the other. And things like that started happening. And our uh, assistant director for the film, a gentleman by the name of Damon Adcock, because here's the thing that you had said something earlier that I had all my fingers in every part of this. And even though that might be true to an extent, I could not make this movie by myself. I had a very amazing, extensive team of people that were very dedicated and worked very hard to see this through. Just to name a few names, I could not have done this without these people. 
Daniel Stark, Bree Hill, Richard Henderson, Kyle Simpson, um, uh, Damon Adcock, John Schwitzer. That's like the list. I could I could go on and on. Like they. No, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, whether it's um, a business making a film um, from an entrepreneur standpoint, every great thing that's happened typically takes more than one person. There's got to be a team that's mm-hmm. behind it. You may be the person that's the head of the team. You're the person maybe you get all the, the accolades, but I, I really appreciate you giving the credit to the to the people that helped make it possible. Yeah. The best vision that anybody could have is just a vision until you're able to put it into action. And in most cases, it's going to require a lot of people to help. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require a lot of smart people, people that have skills and talents that you don't have yeah. uh, to be able to make something happen. So I, I think it's great that you uh, you uh, mentioned those people. And I tell my guys and my crew, guys and girls all the time, it was like, don't be afraid to come to me and give me an idea. Even if you think the idea is stupid, even if I tell you the idea is stupid, don't be afraid to come and tell me because just you saying that idea might trigger another idea with me or this guy or this guy. So, hey, we can't do that, but what if we did this instead? And we would not have gotten there unless somebody said something. But it's also cool that you mentioned that this um, uh, these festivals that you submit to, this one's like you're a finalist, but hey, you know, do you have distribution? Here's some contacts in the industry you need to reach out to. I mean, that's huge. And I mean, the, just being able to have that connection. And that does – I'm glad you said that because it brings it back around to Damon Adcock. Uh, he also is a filmmaker. He has a mentor just like I did who's also named Brian over in California. Okay. And – he he always knew that he had that card, he had that in his back pocket, but he never had anything that he felt proud enough or strong enough about to, to be able to use that card. Here, please look at this, you know. And he did. He used that card for us. So thank you, Damon. And the guy looked at it and said, Dude, this this might not this might not be Avatar, but as far as like a horror comedy movie, like low budget horror comedy, this is great. Like, talk to this guy, Leaf Holtz. He is a, a pitch agent, a film agent for Focus First International. Tell him that I said take these guys on as a client. And so we did. And he did. He didn't even and he didn't charge us any upfront fees. He didn't make a sign a contract. He just said, if Brian trusts you and says it's good, we'll have a handshake agreement. Give me twenty percent of whatever I get for you. And We'll go from there. So as as the pieces start falling in, into place, that's got to be a good feeling. It's it is a really good feeling, but also because whenever you have so many failures beforehand, you're cautious. When things like that happen, you're constantly yeah. Okay, when when's the bottom gonna fall out? You know, because there's so many times where so many great things almost happened to me that I started running my mouth about it. Like one time, uh, a band that I was with was almost offered a like an opening spot for the Jonas Brothers, and okay. so I started like, oh, I'm gonna go do this, and I started telling my work, I'm gonna need a month off, and this, that, and the other, and then that just fell right through because right. nobody would give a contract with anybody's name on it. So I was like, oh, so this was just a scam then. I'm so glad I ran my mouth on television for three weeks about this, you know. So you got connected with. Um uh, an agent, uh, you called him a pitch agent, it's basically pitch agent, movie rep, uh, you know, multiple things that they kind of go by. I got you. So, 
So he took you guys on as a client, and he started making some connections. Mm -hmm. He started. And then he got you connected with who? He actually found us four different distribution offers on top of the distribution offers that the other film festival had. So all together, we had about six different offers. How do you choose out of the six? You get into Zoom meetings and you talk to people face to face uh, because even, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's right? nothing's guaranteed. But here's the thing that I noticed doing all those Zoom calls and talking to all those people is they all start to kind of say the same thing after a while. Uh, there's different ways of saying the same thing. Right. But the reason we went with the people that we went with. Uh, was because they were legitimately excited for the movie. Like, even our rep, Leaf, whenever we got done with the first, like, initial Zoom call, he was like, I've never seen an acquisition agent that excited about a movie before. So we definitely need to give these guys some real thought. And that, so that's really good to hear because I, I can imagine in this industry that um, – I know that you'll you'll have people that um, are able to look at something and and see if it's got the it factor or not, uh, but for a lot of times um, I feel like people are just throwing darts at a dartboard saying we'll take it on we'll toss it out if it catches it catches if it doesn't it doesn't no harm no foul for us we haven't spent much money just yeah. a little bit of time doing it, but when you find that one person who believes in what you're doing, mm -hmm. you just change the whole game from I'm not a number. I'm a partner with someone mm -hmm. that truly gets what I'm trying to do and is going to be behind the project that I put out there. Yeah. Uh, to me, that matters. Yes. I, somebody could talk um, money with me or they can talk um, what it's going to take to take us to that next level. Passion matters to me. Yeah. And uh, Green Apple Entertainment was the company that we ended up uh, inevitably agreeing to. But one of the reasons that we – we're so excited and happy about doing it is one of the things that the guys was saying to us when we were doing our meetings was, you know, we've, this, we're, we've got five different, you know, film divisions in our company, you know, and the creature features is the one underdeveloped uh, thing that we want to start expanding on more. And we want to start building some creature feature franchises. And I was like, Oh, man, if you're looking for franchises, I got nine more movies playing off the back of this Bigfoot film. Talking and, my language, Yeah, right? like, uh, I already, I got the sequel already written. It's about mermaids. Like, we've already got the, we've already got all this pre-production plan. We got the cast. We got the crew. We've got the equipment. We got the locations. All we need is capital, and we can get this thing going, baby. Let's talk, you know. And uh, they have been very, very positive. They have taken everything we've said, everything we've sent. They've been taking us seriously. Like we're professionals, not just some Louisiana backwater, you know, production company in a garage. Because I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what we are. You but you know? know, a lot of people. I mean, you gotta have you gotta have your one. You gotta have the first start. Um, there's not too many people that can say, "Hey, I started off with." all of this now i'm ready to you know present mm -hmm. my film and uh and quite frankly there's a lot of people that feel like they won't get off the starting line because they feel like i've got to have all of this together before i can yeah and um i think they miss so many opportunities by that i'm a big fan of always shoot your shot 
always shoot your shot. It, uh, if you think that you talking to this person might be something that helps push you forward or get your project next to the next level, you fail if you don't do that. Right. Everything you don't do is a missed opportunity. You know, there's a, there's a rap lyric, scared money, you don't make money. I'm not, I don't know 100% if that quote was right. <laughs> so uh, did you uh, sign a deal with Apple? Uh, yes, we have. Uh, we signed a seven-year contract with them. Uh, we're in the deliverable process right now. And now, it's not Apple, like Apple, um, like Mac, but it's, uh, what's the full name of the company? Green Apple Entertainment. Okay, I didn't want to mislead you by yeah, saying yeah. that you, you signed a deal with Apple. Uh, and- yeah, uh, I mean, you did a little bit of research on them. They, I did. You know, they might not be Apple, but they, they're not small oh, yeah. fry. 400 you know? titles, 400 plus titles that they're, they're repping right now, and... Um, there was uh, two films that I've actually seen that's on their in their catalog. Right. So it, I mean, it's they're legit. It's a it's a good start, and um, they you know they're going to be focusing in on Bogman. That's going to be their main focus. They're trying to get it released to the world and overseas uh, by September October of this so year. So we say release. What does release look like? Um, to novice, I don't really understand what release really means. Well, there's different tiers of release. Um, I am also learning about this. This is all new waters for me. I'm so used to doing things the way you have to get them done that I've never had to do things the way they actually need to be done. So it's a learning process. Uh, there's a number of things that we have to prepare the the film for. Like we have to send it like audio in three different tracks uh so for if they sell it overseas someone can overdub you know and things like that um so they're going to be pursuing uh selling it overseas in japan and europe and uh, australia and south america and stuff like that uh they're also going to be pitching it to all the major platforms uh the main two that i know that we're not going to get is hbo and netflix um because we don't climb the k mountain Um, I think we had talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, But uh, all the other platforms, it's free range and very possible that we could get on. We're looking at trying to get on Huluween this year in October. Okay, that'd be cool. Which I'm very excited about because that's that's what I watch every October is Huluween, you know. What kind of uh, timeline do you anticipate the release process taking before – you know they got everything that they need to be able to release it out, and you can kind of see how the uh, reception is to the film. Well, we're still in the process of getting our stuff together. Our deadline to have everything to them is the twenty seventh of this month, uh, so that's what we're working towards right now. We're making great progress on that, so we definitely will get it before then. Um, but they told me that after that, it's pretty much uh, a three month process between. Uh, PR promotion, selling, reaching out to other platforms. You know, it, it's that's just about how long it takes to get all that. So done. we, in theory, by the end of the year, we can know where it's going to be published at, and for those who are interested, where they can go watch it. Absolutely, uh, by September or October, we will know exactly where it's all going to be at. And that's just exciting. And uh, you currently have some other stuff that you're working on. Yes, because uh, they were talking about wanting to build franchises, and I ran my mouth about, hey, I got three scripts ready right now. So they're like, all right, we'll go ahead and send us one. And so I did. Uh, it's the sequel for Bogman's Sea of Madness. It's based off of a uh, book my friend uh, John Tripp wrote. 
and he gave me permission to take his story and add my characters into it and make it the sequel story. And um, like I said, we've been doing pre-production for that pretty much ever since we ended Bogman. Like we just, you get that natural high from sure. like, oh, we just got done doing this. I don't want to stop. All right, let's meet and talk about the next one. You know, so we've been constantly doing that ever since we finished Bogman. Um, but the way that we're kind of hoping it works out is if, you know, everything works with Green Apple and they end up financing it, they're going to send their producers to come and supervise the production to make sure that, you know, we're professional, we're doing what we say, we're not, you know, messing around, we're holding ourselves to a quality that they're, you know, comfortable with. And if everything works out with that and they release it and things, you know, by the time we start filming in January, we'll have an idea of what we're looking at as far as exposure and following for the bog man out in the real world. So hopefully by the time we're starting to film Sea of Madness, I can go ahead and submit them the next script for the bog anthology movie and just keep recycling the process for the rest of the seven year contract which means more and more movies coming here to Monroe and West Monroe to film. And that's something that really excites me is doing more movies here. Man, that excites me too. I know we've had uh, a few films uh, filmed here in the Monroe, West Monroe area. But to sit across the table from you and know that um, you're someone's had a passion for their dream for many years. And uh, those who are watching this, um, I, I want to take away to be, or at least some of the takeaway to be that, um, a dream will never be realized unless you put action behind it. And that sometimes it requires more work than other things. But you have been uh, steadfast on trying to make something happen. It didn't happen overnight. But man, you are getting recognized from the fruits of your labor. And there's light at the end of the tunnel that says, now I have opportunity that I can I can strive to make happen and there's no telling where it can go from here right it's mine to lose <laughs> you know like yeah, I got <clears throat> I told everybody else I was like we all rise up together if one of us makes it we all make it and then it is our opportunity to mess up yeah and I I, I keep going back to it but you you just sit back and give the credit to the people that are around you that's made this possible. I truly believe that when you rise up, everyone around you is going to rise up with you. I, I, I really hope so. Uh, I, The people that have worked on this, you know, especially I've mentioned their names before, but people like Daniel Stark and Richard Henderson and Bree Hill and uh, uh, Kyle Simpson and Adam Bass, they have worked so hard with me and for me, and it's – I just want to see all those people succeed as well. Like, I know that, like, you know, some people say I, 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 you know, I have a small amount of success, and that's cool and that's fine. But, I, you know, I really, some of these people, I got to have a pretty cool run at life. You know, like, I got to be in bands. I got to you know, make albums, do music videos, do movies. Like, if it all ended for me tomorrow... I had a very good run, you know, and I'm very happy with it. And a lot of the folks in my crew, they haven't had the same run that I had. And I want them to have that good run, you know. And yeah, I it, completely understand. And I don't think your run's over with. I, I, think I hope it's, not. I think your run is uh, 
just fixing to really get started. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and talk to us, tell us what's happening in our community. Well, thank uh, you so just, much. I mean, it's just another example of why I love our community so much. When people say that there's nothing to do in this town, we can sit back and say, we have the arts, we have the entertainment, we have we have a lot to offer here in our community. You just have to get out and go do you it. You just have to get out and put your yes on the table and get out and do it. How can people kind of follow your progress? Uh, you can follow us on the Bogman uh, Facebook page, uh, the Bogman Film 2023. Uh, there's a Sea of Madness page as well. I have a YouTube page, uh, Mitch Lang. You can follow me on YouTube. It has trailers for all of our stuff. Uh, my own personal Facebook account as well. And... Uh, we are working on the website for the Open Heart Productions. Uh, it's going to be openheartproductionsfilms.com. It's going to be coming out around the time that we start production for uh, Sea of Madness. Fantastic. We'll try to do our part to put um, all of those areas, points of contact uh, in our show notes so that if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can send you a message or just kind of follow along through your progress. So thank you so much, thank Mitch, you for coming so much. in. Man, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to the 318 Experience, the ultimate podcast for discovering the best of what our community has to offer. I'm Brian Bendeley, your host and local realtor, with a passion for showcasing the people, attractions, and hidden treasures of Monroe, West Monroe, and beyond.